Hello, this is Pastor Jay of Walk With Truth Radio Network. I want to share with you a blast from the past. About 11 years ago, I used to have a radio show, Lunch with Minister Sutton, and I had guests on, and I was able to dig out of the archives some of the shows. It's quite fascinating that a decade later, we're still discussing the same thing. And some of the things and ideas that I had back then as a minister have been implemented in my pastoral journey. So sit back, enjoy, and laugh as I did at Lunch with Minister Sutton. Let's listen in. Truth Ministry invites you to join Minister Sutton and friends as they get together for their weekly lunch. Welcome to Tulane's. Hey, how are you doing today? Are you here tonight by yourself? Uh, I'll have Sister Yolanda Brown and Frida Brown joining me for lunch today. They're there, all right there. Could you invite them over to the table? Good afternoon, Yolanda and Frida. Hey, how are you? Hey. Last week we were talking about uh, I had you guys for lunch, and I didn't get a chance. We didn't get a chance to finish. We were talking about the Natural Church uh, Growth Survey, and uh, I wanted to finish it up today. Frida, did you bring that with us? Yeah, I got it. Okay. So how are you doing today, Sister Brown? I'm doing just fine, just fine. Couldn't wait to get back today so that we can finish uh, what we started last week. Yes, it was pretty intense last week, but I think it's something that people need to discuss. And hopefully, me and you can walk away with some of these things and be able to take it back to some other churches that we're affiliated with and uh, see what we can do with the survey. Last time we left off on what subject, Sister Freedom? Effective structures. Okay, let's go back and talk about that again. Read that again. The NCD research confirmed an extremely negative relationship between traditionalism and both growth and quality within the church. Leaders in healthy churches continually evaluate to what extent church structures improve the self-organization of the church. Elements not meeting this standard, such as discouraging leadership structures, inconvenient worship service times, demotivating financial concepts, are changed or eliminated. To what extent do our decision-making processes, operating procedures, official and unofficial, and board and committee structures facilitate rather than hinder the fulfillment of our church's mission? Okay, first I want to start with the Sister uh, Frida. Go back to where it talks about evaluate. Go read that one about evaluate. Uh, what do healthy churches do? Leaders in healthy churches continually evaluate to what extent church structures improve the self-organization of the church. Uh, Sister Brown. You were kind of talking about that, about when you used to teach, uh, as you teach a subject in your school. Do you continue to evaluate what you do is working? You have to. You have to because you have to realize that the, the people that you're teaching or the students that you're teaching change. And so the way I taught last year or the way that I taught 10 years ago, I can't continue to teach that way. And there's even been times during the middle of a lesson when I see that I'm not getting my point across that I have to change in midstream and go a different direction. Still using the same content, but the delivery has to be different. And so we can't get caught up on 
this is the way we've always done it or you know I can do it over and over and over like this we have to change and evaluate and you know sit down and do some self-reflection as you know am I getting my point across or and I guess most specifically for the church are the methods that we have learned in the past working to get people saved like you said before we were talking about the generations between myself and you and freedom whereas your generation you did what you told was told yeah we did you never you never questioned why my generation was well we're gonna cause a little ruckus may ask a question but guess guess what we'll end up doing what we're told after we pose a question freedom's generation now is why do we do it this way what is the purpose for us doing this way i don't feel that it gets us to where we it accomplishes the mission right freedom what do you think about the way we church structure set up now as far as your group i mean you're in your 20s is traditional church structure appealing to you? I remember growing up, like, I just didn't want to go to church. It was just like, I don't want to go to church. I got to go to church. But then I was just like, mama was just like, go to church. That's what we do on Sunday. So it was like, I was cool. But then um, around my teenage years, I was like, you know, I kind of like going to church. I guess because I started to get involved. But then just lately, it's like I haven't even been in a minute. So it's just like, mm, you know. But do you think it's the structure? You said get involved. So Keith, one of the structured things that I see free to saying is the church has something to do. Well, the church was more inviting and had something to do for her. It, it seems as if now that when we were talking earlier, that the church has become a self-contained unit that only concentrates on itself. The management is about itself and the members that are there. When we're not free, doing anything new. We're not doing anything new that promotes growth well, yeah. or promotes salvation or individuality because we have to realize that everyone is not a carbon copy of one another and so therefore there are going to be some differences and some variances and so if we're stuck on traditionalism you know you always have some free spirits and those free spirits are not going to stay in a traditional setting and so we don't grow you don't grow because you have to, you're being fed the same thing over and over and over, you know, and you have to have some variances. And what she also said, what I noticed that she also said is that, you know, you have to have some ownership. They have to, you know, members have to feel that they have some ownership, that I'm involved, I'm doing something. So it's not just a matter of being fed the word, fed the word, fed the word. There's also some things that, you know, they have to regurgitate that word in different ways. And so everyone have their own individual ministries, as we spoke last week, and using their spiritual gifts in a different way and, and taking on some leadership and feel like they're a part of the ministry. Yeah, and, and that's important. And I can go back as far as historically in the Bible, and I'm going to start with the fact that throughout the New Testament, God sent men of God and women of God to shake things up. The prophets basically shook things up every time they came. They came to tell them that they may be practicing something, but their hearts were not in it. The relationship part of practicing their religion was not there. They were going through the numbers, but not having a relationship. There was 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first Old Testament, New Testament prophet was John the Baptist. He shook things up because at that time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were the religious elite, and they had control of the people through their version of Judaism. Jesus came along, did the same thing. We have modern day, we have after the first century church, we have Catholicism comes along. Well, then we have the Reformers coming in, Martin Luther, John Calvin. Then we come to the modern day. People remember when Billy Graham started having open-air revivals, people were against that because he was having revivals inside of stadiums and not inside the four walls. And he was stepping out the box. He was stepping outside the box. So God has always sent somebody down to say, in your linear thinking, my the way I do things, 
is beyond your understanding. And I have to send somebody down to shake things up. The Zuzu movement, the Pentecostal movement. Well, I have articles to say that that was considered heretical at the time. Right. You know, and now that's considered mainstream. So what we have to do as leaders is understand the church is ever evolving. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's growing like a person. It's a body. It's growing. It's changing. And we have to change with it. And an effective leader recognizes the change, not changing the method, not changing the goal to get people saved, but may change the delivery. Right. I also see that. And evaluate. And evaluate. Yeah, to keep, evaluate. To keep evaluating. I think a lot of times what happens is leaders stop evaluating because when I evaluate myself, I may end up being short. I may not be as good as leaders I think I am. One of the qualities of a leader, I don't know if it's a quality or not a quality, is ego. Most leaders have some sort of ego. And what happens is it becomes about them being a leader and not them being a servant. Right. And see, as leaders, we have to continue to evaluate, are we serving the people or are we just leading the people? Right. Again, I would say any ministry that's built upon one person or one family or one ideology it's doomed to fail. And that's why as leaders, you know, we talked about the qualities of a leader last week, but as a leader, we have to be humble and we have to be prayerful because we have to keep in mind, and I said this last week, but we have to keep in mind, what are we actually trying to accomplish? Is it our goal or if it's his goal? And when we realize that it's his goal, then we can get rid of that ego. Uh, we have to get rid of that ego. Yes, you may be a good leader, but it's only because of the grace of God that you're able to do the things that you do. We have to keep our mind focused on Him. Sometimes we start off with the, in the right direction where it's the goal given by God. Mm -hmm. But then it becomes the goal that is possessed by us. Right. And in the survey it said that when we start using the sheep to accomplish our own goal or the laity to accomplish our own goals versus helping the laity accomplish God's goal. Right. What's the next subject, Freedom? Inspiring worship service. The NCD research revealed that services may target Christians or non-Christians. Their style may be liturgical or free. Their language may be churchy or secular. It makes no difference for church growth. What does matter is whether worshipers feel that they have encountered God during the worship service. To what extent is attending our worship service an inspiring experience? So what do you think about that, Sister Brown? Again, that ties so closely with the traditionalism because we get caught up in, that's not the way you do it. Or that ain't, that's not how you experience God. Right, that's not how, for example, when you talked about Billy Graham, you know, most people say, oh no, you can't do that. You know, he's not in church. He's in a football, you know, stadium or he's in a baseball stadium. And that's not the way he's not in church. So therefore, you can't do that. But it doesn't matter where you deliver the message. It's how the, the message is delivered. And is it inspiring worship? We have to get away from the, the, you know, he's not in a suit or he's not in a robe and he's not in the church building. Is the message that's being delivered, is it inspiring? And know who you're talking to. Right. Again, we're not knocking those who wear robes. No. I particularly no. like the robe or the suit. It, 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 it's not that. It's why am I going to wear a robe to an event to get the word where everybody else has tennis shoes and shorts on? Right. Why am I going to not learn how to be non-offensive so the word can be heard. Right. I, I think that we know the word is itself is offensive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we don't have to be. Yes. You know, the word is the word itself. The Bible says the word itself is offensive. So we don't have to be. What we need to do is, is, is as leaders is understand who we're talking to and adapt. Right. You know, if, if I approach ministry with tunnel vision and it's my way or the highway, guess what? I'm going to end up hitting the highway because God's saying it's supposed to be my way and God has continuously shown me that there's a bit of flexibility in delivery. 
Paul did not talk like Peter. Paul was a much different preacher than Peter. And John the Baptist was a much different preacher than Timothy. But the mission of saving souls was constant. And each one used their own, like we said in the, in the survey, their own talent. And a good leader, now we're going to talk about the top leader, the pastor. His job is to focus growth in his leadership that's under him. Yes. Realizing the talent and saying, you know what, Frida, you're good at X, Y, and Z. I'm going to help you grow in X, Y, and Z so that you can go out and find other leaders that like X, Y, and Z. Right. My job is A, B, and C. I'm going to help you grow in A, B, and C. So you can find out other people, like-minded people who are attracted to A, B, and C. I think leaders don't foster relationships inside of churches because they get nervous about that. I think that leads into the next one. If we haven't covered, uh, if you've done with that, do you have anything to say about that part? about inspiring worship. I just want to say that times have changed and so have the people. So people now aren't inspired like the people were. We're not as easily, you know, persuade. So you, you may take more. You have to, like you said before, you have to continue to evaluate who you're talking to. You have to try to know who those people are. And you have to know how to inspire those people. You know, and it, it's kind of like what you said. You listen to, again, we're talking about generations. I'm from a generation where, again, where you, we were told to do what we, what we want. The learning environment in which we were in, whether it was in school or in church, it was to sit quietly and listen. Right. This generation now, they're bombarded with so much visual... Uh, stimulus. St- right, stimulus. You know, they have visual stimulus. I mean, they're on the computers, they're on iPods and iPads and, you know, smartphones, and there's so much stimulus going on. And so... It would behoove us to think that we're going to deliver a message to them and inspire them by just sitting still. Right. You know, what we're going to get, and we see it in so many churches, all the young folks are asleep because they're bored. They're bored. And so we have to step out of that tradition and come into, again, evaluate, and all of this stuff is really tying in, how you evaluate and say, hey, what do we have to do? How do we as leaders change? And the one thing we have to do, again, is to inspire those younger uh, people to become leaders and so that they can go out. Because, you know, we can't continue to think that way we think. I don't think like Frida. Right. I don't think like Frida. I don't think like you. Right. But together, the three of us can come up with some dynamic uh, deliveries of of messages. That can appeal to anybody. Uh, Yeah. And the Holy Spirit just gave me this. Look how they studied the word, the leaders studied the word back then, mm-hmm. just 20 years ago. You had to get your book, and another book, mm-hmm. and another book, and you may have, if you're a good student, you may have six books open at one time. Right. Now, I can align six books. I can align 15, my Bible program, I can align 15 versions of the Bible all on one page. Amen. With the same, with the same passage. Amen. And I get commentaries from 20 different people all in the click of a mouse. Right. So Frida's generation can gather more information faster than they could 20 years ago. Right. So you have Frida's generation saying, I already know that. Mm-hmm. How do you know it? I, it took me book after book after book. Well, the Holy Spirit is in what they have now using technology saying, I'm going to give it to you all in one. You can study John Calvin, Martin Luther, the Zuzu movement all at one time. At one time. Whereas before, you had to go to the library, sit down, bring this book, take this book back. You could do it all in the click of a mouse, and you don't have to leave the living room. You're right. You know, the information that, that Frida has at her disposal, I have at my disposal. And you, too, she moves faster to the computer probably than the, both of us. You're right. Even you, you move faster than I do. 
because you've gotten used to the technology. Yes. You know, and God is in technology. It's just that now there's there, the information, accurate information is at your fingertips. Right. So when we're talking about inspiring those, that's one way of inspiring because we can't continue to do the same thing that we've done before. And remember. As a matter of fact, I even get bored sometimes now. Right. <laughs> Me too. And, and also remember, back when you grew up, the church was a community church and you didn't have many options to choose from. No. You didn't have... TV evangelism per se, like yes. it is now. Yes. You know, so you went to the church on the corner because that's where everybody goes that's in this neighborhood. Right. Whereas now, you know, we have churches every other corner. We have churches in non-traditional buildings. Yes. Storefronts, you know, uh, bars. I mean, I've, I've sir, and I'm not saying I condone that, but I've seen church service conducted in some of the strangest of places now. Yes. And, it, and, it, and it's interesting to me, when I first saw it being conducted in non-church settings, even I kind of flinched at that because now I concentrate on the fact that it's not in the building of a church and didn't give the word, the person giving the word a chance to deliver the word. But once I did do that, I found out they were getting more done than the ones in the traditional building as far as ministry. Well, you know, we get so hung up and caught up on, on thinking this is the way things should do, should be done. And, you know, I did a, a lesson on uh, change your thinking and it will change you. And we have to also think about that. Like you said, we look at, we have in our mind how the church should be. The church should be in a, in a, in a building, you know, with the steeple on top. And, you know, the larger right. the building, the larger, the more successful the church. We all have that formulated in our mind. But that's not necessarily the case. Right. There are some storefront churches that are doing some awesome things. Awesome. You know, there are some some churches that meet uh, in restaurants, you know, 10, 15 people that are doing some awesome things. But we have to change our thinking. We have to change our mind. We can't stay stagnant and, you know, get caught up on that tradition. One thing I will say before we move on to the next subject is if you're the head leader and you keep talking about change and you haven't changed, you're wasting your time and the people's time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because you can't have change unless you're willing to change. Right. As the head leader. I'm talking the head leader. Yes. And to foster say, I won't change, I won't change. But you haven't made the, the hard decisions to change. Well, the membership take on the, the persona. characteristics of the leader. Right. Yeah. The persona of the head. Yeah. And if the, if the leader's faulty and handicapped or hurting or non-producing, non-effectiveness. Right. You know. Let's let's be honest with each other. You know a good leader by the effective of effectiveness of the ministry. Right. If your ministry is not being effective, we're not talking about numbers. Mm-hmm. We're talking about effectiveness. Like you said, there's churches and, and restaurants that are doing great work for the Lord. Yes. If your ministry is not effective, then you need to evaluate whether you're a leader or not. Right. Because and then if you are a leader and your ministry is not effective, where are you leading them? Where are you leading them? <laughs> yes. Your daughter belongs to a church who's doing a lot of ministry. Yes. And it, how many is it? 10, 15 of them? It's not many. I would say maybe, <laughs> maybe 10, 15 at the most. Mm-hmm. At the most. But they're doing a mighty work for the Lord. Yes. And then you have ministries with 60, 70, 80 people that's doing nothing for the Lord. That's trying to just self-sustain itself. Mm-hmm. That's not ministry. And, and that's not good leadership. Uh, Sister Free, what's the next one? Holistic small groups. The NCD research documented that multiplication of small groups is a universal church growth principle. It also showed that for these groups to have a positive effect on both quality and numerical growth within the church, they must be holistic. They must go beyond just discussing Bible passages and applying it to daily life. 
In these groups, people can safely share personal life concerns and learn to serve others both inside and outside the group with their spiritual gifts. To what extent do our small groups meet the real life needs of members in a holistic way? Sister Brown, that's what we're discussing, and some some people call this cell group. And I think, me, you thought of a dynamic. Even the the problem with most leaders is that now what I begin to do is I begin to raise up other leaders, mm-hmm. and my worry is, will that leader grab a hold to a group of people that will leave me? Right. That fear factor. Right. And that's one of the things that that you know we constantly say that is not a good quality of an effective leader. That's not a quality of an effective leader. But in our flesh, we feel that uh, I can't let anyone outdo me. If I'm the leader, if I have anyone that shine up under me, then they're going to take over. Okay. And so we have to learn how to delegate. We have to learn how to give those people the responsibility because you know when you choose right and authority to do what you know we all have the same goal we all have the same you know we're all out to uh on the same mission and so therefore we have to relinquish that but if you're an effective leader and you work with your staff because again the head leader is going to work with the other leaders right and you're going to make sure that everyone is on the same goal and, you know, you're involved. Now, you can't sit there as the head leader and not become involved in right. what's going on. And, and with smaller groups, you have to be even more involved. Right. Because you have leaders leading them. Yes. So you have to be more involved. And even me and you different on rotation. Yes. You said, let's rotate the leaders. I said, let's rotate the members. Now, Freedom may say. Switch everybody. Switch everybody. <laughs> you know. And that's okay, but at least we each have a plan right. that may be valid, but we need to know who we're dealing with. Right. Because if our congregation is more more apt to let's switch the leaders, then why would me and Frida keep saying, hers keep saying let's switch everything, and I keep saying let's keep switching the members. And if once once it's tried, once we try to do it, whichever way we go, then we may also see too because we're evaluating what's going on. Right. We're, we see well, maybe we do need to switch everyone, or maybe we just need to switch the people. So you know that's what we're talking about when you're evaluating as a leader. Even though I establish something, I have to also be flexible and evaluate myself and say, hey, this is not working. Maybe we need to try something. Else. Right. Maybe we need to go to Frida's idea. Maybe right. we need to go my. Idea. And I, and again, I think also what we haven't mentioned that we talked about earlier, the church doesn't have any specific measurable goals on how to get to measure. Did we accomplish what we want to accomplish this year? It's like I'm going to keep throwing stuff at you and hope it sticks. You know, do you know that your congregation has grown spiritually? I'm talking about the spiritual realm. Right. How do you evaluate that? You know, and it says, well, one of the ways I've heard is, well, as individuals, you don't do the same things you used to do. That's one personal measurement. But as a corporate body, there has to be a way to measure. Are they getting this? And cell, are they understanding the concepts and the precepts of the word of God? And cell groups are good for doing that. You can actually see then, because with your cell groups, you're coming up with an intimate group, a small intimate group where everyone is not afraid to vocalize their opinions and their thoughts. And you can see if that group is growing or if it's not. And if I'm the leader of, of a particular group that I see that, hey, maybe we need to work on some things in this area. Maybe we need to work on some things in that area in this particular group where your group may be doing something a whole lot more different. I mean, they may be really flourishing or something. But when you take uh, in the church, if you have just one large group, 
at all times and you're in delivering the message or you're trying to teach, it's hard to evaluate who's growing. And what we used to do, we used to equate growth with spitting out Bible, Bible verses. verses. Yeah. And you know, if you could quote if you could quote the Bible, then we feel, oh well, you know, this person is really growing. But we all know that the devil quotes the Bible. And we know that there are people that are enemies of Christ that can quote the quote Word the of Bible. God. Yes. More, more so than Christian. We know people in Islam that can quote, quote the word the of God. Yes. So we know that's not the answer. And we know too, old church style was the preacher gets up and preaches and the Holy Spirit does his work but there was no way for the preacher to figure out did they get what I said or not. In essence, as long as they were tithing and giving, that was considered the understanding of the approval yes. of the fact the message got delivered. Yes. But we're in a different time now. The message may not be getting delivered. And you still may have a great offer. We have to take the time. And again, because we're in the information age, you don't know what they're thinking from Sunday to Sunday and what they've been exposed to. And as leaders, as, and I'm going to say the leader down to the other leaders, small groups may help that situation. Whereas they may feel comfortable in a group of six discussing what they've learned. Right. And like you say, your group may be at one level. And again, let's say the, whole, the, the top leader says, the pastor says, this year, I want everybody in this church to grow in their knowledge of understanding salvation. Yes. Freddie, you, you're a leader. You teach a group. Mrs. Brown, you teach a group, and I teach a group. Well, each group may be at a different point of it, but guess what? As long as each group has grown somewhat or a little bit, it's a success. Yes. My group may not grow but an inch. Your group may grow a foot. Your group may grow two miles. But guess what? There has been some measurable growth. And, you know, I think that another thing, too, when we talk about the whole structure of leadership, as the head leader, I have to also teach my leaders. Right. I can't just designate people to be in a group and lead and then just put them out there. Okay. You know, there are times when, as the head leader, I have to pull my leaders in and then teach them. They have to be taught, too, so that everyone is on the same accord. Because if you don't do that, then what you end up doing is get a lot of fractions. You know, you're and what I would say to head leaders is, don't get to a leadership position and stop trying to learn. Yes. Because I see that a lot. I see it's that an ongoing I, thing. It's an ongoing thing. If you decide to be a leader, you might as well say you're a learner for the rest of your life. Yes. Because you have to continue to evaluate and change. Frida, what's the last one? Second to last. Second to last. Need-oriented evangelism. The key to church growth is for the local congregation to focus its evangelistic efforts on the questions and needs of non-Christians. This need-oriented approach is different from manipulative programs where pressure on non-Christians must compensate for the lack of need orientation. To what extent are the forms and concepts of the evangelistic activities related to the needs of those you are trying to reach? Basic old school, put them on the mourner's bench. <laughs> you know, and, and will them and pressure them into salvation. Well, you know, the thing is, we have to realize if you're in an area, a poverty-stricken area, what better way than to get out and evangelize than to meet the need of the, the people? Food programs, food pantries, you have to bring them in because they're not going to want to want to talk to you if they're home. Right. And if you're bringing them in, you have food pantries, they see that they can go to the church for support in those areas, maybe financial areas, as far as food is concerned, being fed. That way, they're more receptive to listening to what you have to say. And for, for sake of time, I want to go into the second one because really, to me, what I just figured out is this one leads into the other one because while we're operating the need-based evangelism, mm -hmm. 
they're watching how we deal with each other. Yes. Which yes. goes goes go into that second because I know we're running out of time. It's time for us to get out of here and get back to work. Loving relationships. Right. NCD research shows that growing churches possess, on the average, a measurably higher love quotient than stagnant or declining ones. Genuine practical love has a magnetic power far more effective than evangelistic programs that depend mostly on verbal communication. To what extent are the relationships of the members of this church characterized by a high degree of love and affection? So in doing the personal event, the doing evangelism, so how do they see us express our differences and ideas in love? Yes. yes. Without conflict. Yes. You know, nobody wants to join. If my family's dysfunctional, I don't want to join another family that's dysfunctional, that's right. larger. Right. If mom and dad are dysfunctional, it's me, mom, dad, and my two siblings, that's fine. But I don't want to join an organization where there's 50, 60 dysfunctional People, church members <laughs> who don't show each other love. Right. What do you think about that, Fred? I think it's the difference between growing up and growing out. Sometimes a lot of churches want to grow out, like add more people, but a lot of churches need to realize, you know, they need to reach across, you know, to somebody that sits in your circle, you know, pull each other up. Before we can attract other people to us, we have to make sure that we got each other. So if we don't grow, if we don't grow in. Then there's no sense yeah, of going out. Grow out. Yeah. So we need to grow up. Yeah, grow and, and, and with that, that's going to be great. I think that we had a great lunch today. Again, we didn't get around to eating our food. I'm going to give you guys my email address just in case you want to talk about this some more. It's walkintruthministries at yahoo.com. It's walkintruthministries at yahoo.com. My phone number is 314-629-0024. You know what, Frida? Your statement was true. We need to grow up before we start growing out. And that's from the mouth of a 20-year-old. And that was a great way to end our discussion. What you think, Sister Brown? I think it was fantastic. Thank you for joining for lunch. Uh, I bought lunch earlier today. <laughs> so we don't, we're not going to actually worry about the tab because we didn't get to eat today, okay? It's about time. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. For joining Minister Sutton and Friends, meet here every Sunday for lunch with Walk in Truth Ministries.